Well, today I need to, to walk us through a starter of what God is eventually going to bring out. In the next seven weeks, I'm going to be talking about how to become a better leader of yourself. How to become a better leader of yourself. The, the things that you have to do to create better leadership in your life, which means I'm going to have better leadership uh, in my family, better leadership where I work, better leadership all the way around. But it begins with you. It has to begin with you. And there are seven things that I walk through a lot. And, and, and so when people say, well, pastor, how did you become the leader that you are? I do a lot of self-leadership. I do a lot of self-testing. I, I, I do a lot of self-evaluation. And from that, what flows from that is the life that I live. And the life that I live then becomes an example to others. So today, let's, let's go to Psalms 23, and that'll be our starter. I just want to use this psalm as, an, as a starter to really grasp this leading in our culture or leading today. So Psalms 23 says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We know this very well. We, we've read this a thousand times. But I want to pull from it what you need to see this morning. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, look at the person beside you and say, He's the leader. He's the leader. It's not that He just, he just loves you. He is leading you. How do you know? Go to verse 2 with me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. This is the whole context of Psalms 23. It is not just a beautiful psalm about how God loves me and how I'm his sheep and he's my sheep. It is the psalm of leadership. It is the psalm that sets up leadership. In fact, later Paul will say, listen, Christ is the leader of the church. He is the head of the church. We are his body. But listen how he says, he makes me lie down beside the green, in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He, what? Leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for here your rod and your staff, they what? What's he doing? He's leading, consistently leading people, consistently leading life. This is how we walk in a relationship with Jesus. The Spirit comes to be a guide, a teacher, a leader in your life. That's why when you do something you're not supposed to, that feeling on the inside, the Spirit nudging you saying, that's the wrong direction. That's not where I've called you to go. That's not what I've asked you to do. And, and you have to grow in this and accept this as part of your journey because if you don't, you're always going to be in confrontation with God. You're going to have these sayings like, Pastor Lot really stepped on my toes today. No, God's trying to lead you somewhere out of trouble. God's trying to guide you into a good place to put you beside some still waters because you're in all this chaos right now and all this trouble in your mind right now and you've got all this going on between your ears but the problem is, is you just don't want to be guided. You don't want to be led. Oh, I do, Brother Lot. I know what I want. I'm just praying until I get it. That's not guided. And don't worry, if you keep praying something long enough and you already have it in your mind, God will give it to you. And then you'll wonder why it didn't work, and then you'll blame God. But God said, because you desire it so bad and you won't let me guide you, I give it to you. I don't know why God gave me this wife. God didn't give you that wife. You wanted it. I don't know why God gave me this husband. God didn't give you this husband. You wanted it. I don't know why God put me at this job. He didn't. You wanted the income. You, the money was more important than the fun of life. So you decided on the income, and then you're mad every day because you got to go to work and pay for that car and pay for that house and pay for that. God didn't do it to you. God guides you, but you have to be willing to listen. Listen to how it sums up. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, 
I fear no evil. You're, you prepare a table before me, which means what? i got to get to it. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall, as I'm following, as you're guiding, guess what's coming behind me? Goodness and mercy. I'm not after goodness and mercy. I don't pursue goodness and mercy. In fact, I may have enemies all around me all the time. Well, I'm in the wrong place. I got all this stuff. No, you're not. You're in the right place to grow. You got enemies all around, people you can't stand, things you got going to work you don't like, people you're married to, and all this is going on, and you're like, I just need to get out of it. No, you don't. The whole process is that as he guides you, surely goodness and mercy will follow behind you. It becomes your story. And people will say, man, how did you... How did you get through that? How did you overcome that? How did you? Well, as I followed the Lord, he brought me through every situation. He guided me around every curve. He took me over every mountain. And now surely, goodness and mercy, I've just come to understand, will follow me all the days of my life. As long as I'm following him, it will happen. And, and you say, but life can get bad and you may die. That's okay, because surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. So if you think, well, life may get bad and you may die of a disease. Well, don't get all frustrated, because the next part of it is better than the first part. As I'm walking through life, struggling through life, following him, looking for clear water, looking for a safe place, struggling through, he said, don't worry. The final destination is really, really good. This psalm is the psalm of leadership. If you understand it as a sheep that's willing to follow. In 1 Corinthians 11 and 1, Paul says it this way. You don't have to go there, but in 1 Corinthians 11, it just simply says, Follow me as I follow Christ. Paul to the Corinthian church, and the Corinthian church had all these gifts, had all these abilities, the tongues and interpretation. Man, they, they, they had all. Paul said, you're not lacking any gifts. You've got them all. Healings, miracles, you've got them all. But you're babies. You're immature. You got all these gifts, but you're not mature. So here's how you mature. You need to learn to imitate me as you watch me imitate Christ. That's what a leader does. A leader looks and says, you're not there yet, but imitate me as I imitate Christ. Let me, let me give it to you in a definition so that it'll help you. You can write this down. What's the definition of leadership? Here it is. Leaders are people who set out on a journey. Leaders are people who set out on a journey and take others with them. That's what leadership is. It is not micromanaging all the stuff you got. Leadership is you yourself saying, I have a journey. I've got a destination. I've got a place I have to go. Would you like to follow? Would you like to go with me? And, and, and this is, is the first steps in understanding leadership. So if you're saying, I'm going to lead myself, and I'm going, to be a, I'm going to start by leading me, then here's my first question. Where are you going? Tell me your destination. If I was to ask you today, five years from now, as you're following along and as you've been praying and seeking God, tell me the destination you're supposed to be at. And then secondly... Is it exciting enough where anyone else would want to come along with you? 
There, there's, a, there's a phrase that I've been wrestling with, and it'll, it'll go through everything I'm going to teach you today. And this is the phrase that you have to wrestle out in your life. And it doesn't end at 20 years. In fact, it gets worse and worse as you get grown more and more. And it's simply this. Do I do it because I get to, or do I do it because I have to? In your life, this will be the greatest question you will continually answer. This morning when you went, came to church, why? Did you get up this morning because it's Sunday morning and you got to go to church? You didn't, you didn't get up saying, man, it's Sunday. We're going to get to hear an awesome sermon today. We're going to get to praise and worship. Man, we are healthy. We get to go to church today. Or did you say, well, we got to go. But it's raining. We still got to go. And that may sound simple to you, but I'm going to tell you something. That's an enormous weight to carry every single day of your life, having to get to do something or having to just do it. Marriage can get old. Why? Because that's my wife or husband. Or man, I get to live with this person every single day. Well, I have to go to work. Man, I get to do what I do. I'm blessed that God has given It's how you look every single day. And a person who is a leader has accepted that I get to do this. I'm excited about this. Would you like to come along? So the best test of leadership is simply this question. Is anyone following you? No, I'm not talking about because they have to. I'm talking about, is anyone following you because they got up this morning and said, man, I can't wait to go with you. I can't wait to see what's fixing to happen. I mean, I, I got up this morning and I was like, Man, this is the first of our, of our groups, life groups. Man, it's going to be awesome. Our, our, our classes break forth today. I got discipleship this afternoon. I get to sit with 20 people and talk about the Bible and talk about the kingdom of God. And I, Man, it is going to be an awesome day today. That's the difference. When somebody comes to me now, and I don't think about it, but when they come to me now... And they'll say, oh, you pastor here, you pastor there. And, and the question is, is always the same. How long you been there? Now, up until this time, it's just like, oh, so you pastor over here, over, yeah, between Jackson and Meridian. And, and, and it's, yeah, they're usually like no excitement until they ask this question, how long have you been there? And I'll say, well, it's 29 years now. Man, 29, man, that is incredible. I don't think anything about it. But some people, when they think of, how long you been married? 32 years. Lord, you stuck with that person for 30? I'm having to talk myself into it every day. And I'm five years in. Do you see my, what I'm saying? Leadership is the ability to find the journey and to enjoy the journey, whether anybody else follows you or not. That's not the point. I am on a journey, and I am excited about my journey. And because of that, others want to follow and be a part and see what God's going to do. Let me see if I can say it this way. There are three things that will cause you to fail in being a leader. Three things that will cause you to fail. Number one is this. When a leader is not on the move. If you say you're on a journey, but you're not going anywhere, nobody's believing you. In other words, it's just like walking up to somebody and saying, how you doing today? I'm all right. No, you're not. Because your face shows it. And your countenance shows it. No more than when you say, what you been up to? Oh, this and that. Nothing, really. 
Because when we say about a journey, here's the thing about a leader. The first thing you're ever going to find about leaders when you're around them, and I had a chance this, this week to be at a, at a conference of, of, of some of the, the top leaders and, and pastors and things, and, and they brought in a real, brought, brought in Tommy Barnett, who, who, who has been pastoring for years, and his son and him do the Dream Centers, and they've got like 200 Dream Centers. I mean, it's just crazy, 25 Dream Centers. It's It's crazy. And yet this guy on the stage, he's, he's 86 years old. And he's got more energy than the guys he's talking to. He's like, man, we're doing this, and we're, we're doing this, and we're doing this. And, 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 and I had a procedure a while back, kind of slowed me down, but I'm still, and I'm thinking, I'll follow that guy. Because he's moving He's moving. If I was to ask your marriage, if you want to know why your marriage is where it is, where is it moving? Or do you already have it all planned out and it's already just like, we're going to live here, we're going to die in this house, we're going to do this. Well, let me tell you something. That's probably not going to excite a leader. Sitting and dying does not excite them. Moving is what excites them. And so in your life, if I asked you, where are you moving to? What are you doing? Where are you stretching? Where are you becoming? Or are you trying desperately to find comfort? Leaders spend all of their energy trying to get people out of comfort. People spend most of their energy trying to get to comfort. True? Just talk with me today. I'm telling you, I'm setting this thing up for the next seven weeks. So, now, The second thing about leaders is this. Leaders can fail not only when they don't move, but also when they head in the wrong direction. Leaders can use their abilities, but choose to do something that's not God-ordained. Napoleon... Hitler were great leaders. I can name throughout history great leaders. You may not like the people. That's not what we're talking about. But as leaders, they could draw, they could, their, their enthusiasm, their, their excitement, their energy. I don't even understand what Hitler's saying when he's got his little mustache. And he's like, oh, I, I, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, that dude's excited about something. And a whole country follows him into destruction. Into one of the worst holocausts that ever took place in history. All because one little guy with an ugly mustache gets excited. But he's the leader. If you're not careful, if you're the one that always looks, let me just say it this way. Who used to get you in the most trouble? If you hung around them, who used to get you in the most trouble? That was a leader. You knew what they were wanting to do. We don't need to be doing this. We don't need. Come on, we're going we're gonna to have fun. Come on, we're going. Nobody will know. We're going. You can be a leader and have a great personality and still be going in the wrong direction. What will fail in leadership is, number one, you don't move. Number two, you're going in the wrong way. Number three, it's when a leader becomes isolated. When a leader becomes isolated. I have to battle this all the time. This is, this is the one that gets me. Because I can use it as another phrase. When a leader becomes insulated... In other words, I can tell you all the things to do. I can tell you the right things to do. In fact, most of you can come to me today, and, and, and I'll tell you what you need to be doing. You tell me about your life, I can tell you what you need to be doing. That's not the problem. The problem is, is me. Nobody cares what you know until they know that you... So it's, it's much easier for me to just say, sure, let's, let's set it up. 
Pastor, I'm going through this, this, this. What, what do I need to be doing? We well, need to do this, this, this. Hey, come back in about six weeks and, and we'll talk about it some more and, and, and see what you're doing. Are you doing these things, not this? That's easy because I can insulate myself and I don't have to deal with feelings. I don't have to deal with what you're going through. I don't have to deal with... And in leadership, you can be barking orders and telling people and even leading people. But you yourself can become so insulated from others that you don't feel. Saying all the right things, but you don't feel. You don't get close enough. And I have to work very hard at, at, at getting close. Of, Tell me your story. Tell me what's going on. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. At 10 o'clock at night, I have to try to get all of that out of my mind to go to sleep. Because it's just one, like, oh, and there's so-and-so, and, and I'm, I'm praying for so-and-so, and I'm, and I'm praying for so-and-so. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't want you ever to stop. It's, it's me. I have, to, I have to fight against, do I just insulate myself and don't care and just tell people what to do? And Look, I told you what you ought to do. If you're not going to do it, I can't help you ain't got good sense. That would be easy. Some of y'all do that, right? You just, they have told you what to do. I'm just, don't, don't be bringing your junk around. I don't want to know that. But there's a certain level that you have to reach in your life where you allow people to be connected. Whether you're teaching, preaching, whether it's your family, your marriage, whatever it is, there's a certain level that you can't be insulated. Let me give you three thoughts this day and see if I can get you to grasp this about leadership. Number one, I want you to consider today how large a sphere of influence you have as a leader. Look at the person beside you and tell them, say, you are a leader. You are a leader. No, brother Lord, I don't. Well, let's just, if I had, if I could, if you can, make a, a, just a block, big, big square block or a circle, however you want to do it in your mind or on your paper. If you've got notes, you're awesome. Man, that's what you're supposed to have. So you've made a circle, you've made a block, and then I want you to draw a cross or a T through it so that you break it off into four sections. And here's what I want you to do. Section number one is family. How much family do you have? How many family members do you have? You have an influence with all of them. They talk about you. When they, when they bring up you, it's like, oh, and then there's Uncle Tim. What do they say? What is your influence in their life? What is your impact? Brothers, sisters, cousins. What is the influence that you have among the 20 or 30 family people that you have in your life? That's already a sphere of influence that people are either watching you, listening to you. Number two, the second block would be friends. What friends do you have? People that, that, that you consider friends. It may not be as many. It may be just two or three, maybe five or ten. I don't know. People you hang out with, people you consider friends. The third block would be work. Who do you work with? How many people work in your office? How many people work on your assembly line? How many people work in your school that know you? You start to get the picture? Your sphere of influence, the enemy wants to shrink it to make you think that when you do something, it doesn't matter. I'm not hurting anybody. It's only me. No. No, every decision you make, every move you make, somebody is watching it. Somebody is impacted by it. Somebody is watching whether you smile or not, whether you say something ugly or not. If you hit your hand with a hammer, they're going to see what words come out of your mouth. It doesn't matter what level you think you are. You have a sphere of influence, and God says, I've given it to you. And here's the fourth one. Write this one down. Church. The people who come to your church, what do they say about you? How involved in their life are you? 
How connected are you? You have a large sphere. When they watch how you walk in, when they watch how you talk, when they watch what comes out of your mouth, when they watch, is it encouragement, discouragement, disgruntled? What, what, do, they, what do they get from you? You are an influencer. Number one, consider how large a sphere of influence you have. How many people watch you? How many people are listening to you? How many people watch your facial expressions and every part about you? You choose. You're leading. Number two, consider your present position. I want you to consider where you are at this moment. Where are you at right now on your journey? Where are you at in your journey right now? See, for me, I wish I could say, I'm getting near the end. I wanted to say that a bunch of times. Because remember, I have to fight against having to and getting to. And depending on sometimes on what day you run into me, you're going to meet one or the other. I may walk into the office one day and it's like, all right, we have to do this and this and this. And somebody needs to just look at me and say, no, pastor, we get to. All right, you're right. I need the encouragement. Anybody else need that? There's some days it's just like, it's just like, we have to get this done today, whether we like it or not. We need people in our life that remind us, no, you get to. You get to breathe today. You get to live today. So God comes to me at those moments and it's like, God, look. And God's like, okay, Tim, where are we at? Well, we're right here. Where do you want to go? (sighs) Don't ask that. Because, Because the dreams and the things you put in me sometimes are bigger than me. Where do you want to go, Tim? What's the next step in your journey? I, I, I joke about, well, that's the last thing I'll ever build. That's the last thing. And, and sure as the world, right now I need to build something else. Our, our, our nursery, blasting point, youth, all those departments need, need space, especially my nursery Like I said, during COVID, you guys were very active. That's a good thing. Woohoo! That's what I'm screaming. Y'all filled up a nursery quick. But that's a problem. Because you need more classes, so I need to shift some things around. and, and, And it's like, okay, this will solve it. Man, I don't want to do this. And God's like, do you have to or do you get to? Where you at, Tim? Well, I'm here. And last night when I was coming through, it was about 10.30 or so when I was leaving, and the guys were all in there, and just every age group, a bunch of people shooting basketball and having fun. And God hit me with that, do you have to or do you get to? Where can I take it next, Tim? What, what can I do next? See, in your life, you just want to stay where you are comfortably. And God wants to get you to where you're supposed to be. Not worried so much about where you're at, just knowing where you're at. Where are you at with your lifestyle? Where are you at by the way you act? Where are you at by your attitude? Where are you at? Now tell me where you want to go. We've always said that here. We don't really care where you've been. We just want to know where you want to go. We want to help you get to where you want to go. So number one, consider my sphere of influence. Number two, consider your present position. Let me give you some questions real quick. I'm going to give you seven questions that I ask myself that you need to ask yourself. You're going to, if you don't write these down, you can go back on the podcast or whatever and, and scan through it and get, get all the questions. 
But these are very important questions. They're life-changing questions. They have been for me for years and years and years. The first question is this. Am I still praying with faith? Not, not that I'm, am I still praying. I didn't ask you, are you still praying? Go, go with me in your Bibles. Uh, well, we'll just, we'll just say Luke 18. I don't have time to cover all that. Luke 18 deals with Jesus asking the question, when I return, will I find faith? Will, 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 there, be, will there be anything here? He speaks on faith. James, the fifth chapter, talks about this, the prayer of faith. It's not enough just to pray, but to have faith in that prayer. It's not enough for me just to go through the motions, but, but Tim, do I still believe that when I close my eyes that something is fixing to happen? Of all the things I've seen in the church that has changed over the years, this is what I've seen the most, is that we have made a profession of just praying and expecting nothing. We think that if we pray enough and we get enough people praying, then that's what moves God. Man, we get a prayer chain going. No, I just need one grandma who believes that it'll happen. I don't need 50 of you. But somehow in our time, we've gotten to that point to where we think that, oh, if we just all get around and pray. No, I just need one of you to lay hands on them and believe, and two touching anything, agreeing and believing it shall be done. He didn't say, I need 42 of you or 52 of you. We're going to get the whole family praying. That's great if you want to do it. But somebody out of that whole group better have faith in their prayer. They better not just think that if I just do it for 40 days or 50 days, or if I just do it for a year and a half, or if I do a 21-day fast to start my year, my year is going to be good no you better have faith in the prayer and if you do you don't have to do a whole lot of long praying and I have to ask myself in the start of the year and I'm asking you when you pray do you actually believe it's going to happen God help me do you believe he's going to God send me somebody one day to marry do you believe he's going to God open doors do you believe he's going to or do you just say if you keep praying and it finally happens wow I have to ask myself constantly, am I praying still with faith? Because, Tim, if you're going to be a leader and you're going to journey and you're going to have people follow, here's the first thing is that when you pray, you got to know something's happening. Number two, go with me to Romans 12 and 8. Romans 12 and 8. He who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Notice how leading is a gift that God gives to the church. Leading is a gift. Boy, I love encouragers. Do you love leaders? Man, I love givers. Do you love leaders? I like people to show kindness and mercy. Do you love leaders? They're listed right there among those. But notice, if you are a leader, if you're going to be a leader, do it with diligence. In other words, number two, the question I ask myself, am I serving still with zeal? Am I still serving with excitement? Am I still, when I walk through and I see a piece of paper, am I still picking up the piece of paper? Or do I just walk past it now? That hit me yesterday. Cameron was, and Skylar were, were walking to the shed, and there on the ground was a piece of plastic. I don't know how long that piece of plastic is laid there, I don't know how many weeks or days or what have you. But Cameron walked past, and as he walked past, he stopped. He got it. He picked it up and put it in the back of my truck. And it hit me. Would you have walked by it? Would you have just walked by it and not done that simple thing? Would you have walked by that person and not shook their hand because you got somewhere to be? Would you have... In other words, do you still have the same zeal to do what you do? 
do you still get excited? Or is it becoming a grudgery? Listen to me, this is what happens to marriages. I'm not just talking about leading a church. This is what happens in our jobs. This is what happens with our very lives. We just get tired and, 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 and we say to ourselves, well, I'm, I'm asking God to help, but I don't know. I, I'm, I'm doing everything. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not excited about it anymore. In the movie Parenthood, with, it, it, there's a scene in there. I love that movie. And, and Steve Martin is the father, and he's done, he's done quit his job. He's got kids. He's got a bunch of kids. And he comes home, and his wife is like, I need to tell you something. And she tells him, I'm expecting again. His whole world is getting more and more chaotic. And then there's this one scene where she is talking to him. He's like, I need you to do this, and do this. I need you to... And he says this phrase that hits me. He just finally just like, just can't take anymore. And he says, I always have to. Do you ever feel like that in your life? You get up, hey, we need to get, I know, I always, we always got stuff to do. We always got to get something done. We always got to go. We always. Some of y'all had this conversation on the way here today. You didn't say it out loud, but you thought it. We always got to do something. We've always. What's happening? I'm losing zeal. I've gone from I get to, and I'm starting to move into I have to. And it causes you as a leader to stop moving. And if you stop moving, people stop following. Number three. Am I believing still with confidence? If somebody asks you about your life, can you with a smile on your face say, here's where I'm headed. Man, here's what I got going on. Here's, man, here's is what I'm looking forward to. Can't wait till I get here. Am I believing with confidence? Number four, am I confessing with humility? Because here's the thing, on this journey and, and, and walking this thing out, you're going to mess it up sometimes. You're going to sin. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to kind of get into a rut. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to have seasons where, where it, just, it just isn't going. Right now, that's one of those seasons for me right now that God just kind of has me in this holding pattern. And, and, and I'm preaching on leadership, I think, right now because God is saying, I want you to reload. I want you to get it in your mind and, and get all this back because I'm going to cut you loose again. But right now, it, all my pastors are like, you just need to rest. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I need to go, 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 go. And, they, and they're like, no, right now you need to rest. You, you need to enjoy. You need to just, just, just watch what's going on around you. You need to take in what God has done. And you need to, you need to, to, to take a, just a moment to catch your breath, to do all this. You, you can't go into the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. It, it, it's admirable, but you will die. But part of that is my makeup. But it's important. Am I confessing with humility? Martin Luther, many times people mess this up. When Martin Luther put the theses on the wall, his, his first statement was, was simply this. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of a believer to be one of repentance. We always think that, well, Martin Luther nailed it up that we're saved by grace. That's not what he just said. He was saying that a life of a believer is, is built on continual repentance. Continual repentance. Now, when I say that, understand I'm not meaning it as like the world, religion type repentance. Let me see if I can explain this and break this down. When we talk about religious repentance, we're talking about this. It's because I've done something wrong and I don't want to be punished for it and I don't want to have to pay a price for it, so I ask for forgiveness. 
That's not what he's talking about. He says, continual repentance is me walking on this journey. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He says, as I'm journeying and I make mistakes, it is this feeling that I don't want to let him down. It is this connection that I love him and I don't want to fail him. It's not, I did something wrong. Oh, if I don't get, ask God to forgive me, I will burn in hell. That's not the feeling. Martin Luther said, it is a life of continual repentance in you. Let, let me see if I can say it this way. When was the last time you repented? When was the last time you repented? Of ways that you know that you're not living up to what God's called you to. You're not following the way God would want you to follow. Well, I hadn't done anything wrong, brother. No, what you're saying is, I hadn't done anything that makes me feel so guilty and so bad that I feel like if I don't ask God to forgive me, I'm going to feel miserable. That's not what I'm talking about. When is the last time in your journey you just said, God, I'm sorry? I know I'm not the best you got. I know I file it up. I'm so glad that you don't quit on me. And this thing, God, I don't want it to be part of my life. And I'm asking you to help me remove it. I'm asking you to remove it. I'm asking you to help me move past it. When's the last time you repented? For me, last night. It's a continual part of my life because as I draw close to God, I'm like Isaiah. The closer I get to God, it isn't the more, well, I know, you know, I've done. No, no. The closer I get to God, the more it is, Lord, I'm undone. God, Lord, there's so many ways I do things that I shouldn't. There's so many attitudes that I have that I shouldn't. There's so many. One of the best compliments I got this week was, was from another pastor. And he has a big church. Well, he has a big church. And he just texted me and said, basically, I'm so glad you're my friend. He said, he said you have such a, an attitude. And I don't know how he said it, humility or, or whatever. But basically, he was just trying to say, you don't have no air. He said, for a person to have a church like you have and for you not to. But see, I don't see it as a destination. I'm still on a journey and I'm still following. And the closer I get to him, the more I realize that I don't have it all together. I don't get to a certain place. And it's like, okay, I'm here now. All the rest of you are. No. I'm just journeying. Just like you're journeying, and when you draw close to him, he pumps this stuff up like, oh, man, I know I'm. And I'm the same way. When I get close to him, he's like, Tim, there's stuff here. And God says, that's good. Martin Luther said, it is a life of continual repentance. It doesn't mean to make you sad. It means that I want to be close to him, and I want to be close, and I want to be close. Put it to you this way. When I'm with my, my wife, I can tell if things are good or not. If I've said something that day or done something that week, I can reach over and grab her hand and she'll just pull that hand away. And I'm like, baby. What's happening? She wants me to draw close. But as I'm drawing close, she wants me to realize you can't keep doing this and still stay close to me. So you have a choice. Drawing close. Will you, will you repent? Will you change? Will you? Or are you just going to get to the point where you just realize, well, we just ain't ever holding hands no more. Oh, I love you, but we're not going to hold hands. No, I want to hold hands. No, I want to be close. I want to cuddle on the couch. I want, and whatever I need to do, because I love you, I'm willing to make it. That's repentance. It's not, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I won't ever do it again. Come on, let's get close. No, no, that's, that's doing it because of guilt. 
That's not what God wants. He wants you to do it because you love Him and you want to walk with Him. Let me wrap this up. I've got to get you to your classes. Number five, am I still worshiping with joy? When I worship God, do I still get excited? Do I, do I, do I still worship Him with joy? If it goes back to what we just talked about. If I'm not close, I won't worship Him with joy. Number six, am I giving with gladness? Because if I'm in love, then giving becomes normal. If me and Elise are close and we're holding hands, then I'm like, is anything you need? She's like, well, I like this dress. Let's go get it. Well, you don't know. I ain't worried about what it costs. It don't matter if that's what you need. Let's get it. You're that way with God. You show up with your tithe envelope. You're like, God's got stuff to do. I want to be a part of it. I'm, I'm going to be a giver. Giving is just a sign. Wherever your heart is, your treasure is. It's just connected. Am I still giving the way? Do I still give to others? Do I still give time to my family? Do I still give? Or is it all about me? Number seven, am I still reaching out to others in love? Am I still loving on others, not because of anything they can do or give, but just because I love them? These are questions I have to ask myself. Number three, consider my sphere. Consider your present position and where you want to go. And finally, I have to consider who I'm following today. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. Is that who's still leading me? Is that, I was listening to a song last night, and this song sums it up for me. And, and uh, Chris Tomlin put this out in 2010. 2010, Chris Tomlin put out the song, Where You Go, I Will Follow, is the name of the song. I Will Follow. And I was listening to that song, it's just. He was talking about in 2010 when the Passion Conference and all that was just starting to explode. That's when this song came out. And he was writing it for people who were 18 to 20 to 30 years old. And he says, because that's by what he was somewhere in that range at that time. And he was writing this song. And he said, this just came out. And he just simply says, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. I will follow you. Who you love, I'll love. I will follow you. And I have to ask myself sometimes, as a leader, if people were following me, can I say like Paul, follow me as I'm following Christ? Whether it's your family, whether it's yourself, whether it's a church, it's all the same. It won't take people very long to realize who you're following or what you're following. The question is this morning, what kind of leader do you want to be? I want to be one that, like Paul said, follow me as I'm following Christ. If you'd like to be on this journey, then this is where the journey's going. I don't know all the destinations. I just know it's going to be good. I can tell you some of the plans, but I can't tell you all because he don't share everything. But I can tell you the direction. And I'm excited about it. Will you stand? I want to pray over you before I go. These next several weeks, six or seven weeks, I'm going to be dealing with what things you have to do to become a leader of yourself. What do I have to do to become a leader for myself? I'm going to not try not to be too much of Joel Osteen. 
My jaws are hurt too bad. But this is one of those moments where some of the stuff that he says and others say are very important. There's a certain way you do have to speak. And there's a certain way you do have to think. And there's a certain way you have to lead yourself. And we're real good at beating up ourselves. Oh, I know I need to do better. I need to do... We're real good at beating up ourselves. But many times we're not good at leading ourselves. So I hope you'll hang with me. Next week, the first one is learning to speak my story. I need to learn to speak my story. If I told you, tell me your story, how would it come out? You've got to learn to speak your story. I know you've got to get to class. You've got three minutes. I want to pray with you. Father, thank you. Thank you for putting every one of us in a sphere of leadership, a place where whether it's our little brothers and sisters that watch us, whether it's people we work with, whether it's our family, whether it's our wives, our husbands, whether it's our children, People watch us. God, this world needs leaders. The world needs leaders. Not ones that just want to be leaders, but those that are born leaders. God, help us become the leader of our sphere. Help me to answer the questions correctly so that I might lead well. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Go give that old devil fits.